You are entering the Freedom Hut. Republicans are sick of the double standards in social media. Trump and the rest of the GOP want answers for why Twitter suspended Mitch McConnell-related Twitter. We'll get into that. And also Bernie Carrick, former commissioner of the NYPD, is going to join to talk about a possible pardon for Blagojevich. And is there really a movie where libs are hunting Trump supporters? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Today I'm directing my administration to explore all regulatory and legislative solutions to protect free speech and the free speech rights of all Americans. We hope to see transparency, more accountability, and more freedom. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. That's right. Not just calling out the fake news media. Now the Trump White House is saying, yeah, that's right. When we see something that's really egregious, when one of the social media giants decides that they're not going to play fair, it's time the American people know about this. Here's what happened last night. Uh, Mitch McConnell, as we discussed earlier in the week, uh, had people outside of his home saying horrible things. You probably heard a lot less about this than you did about how Trump is a racist. Oh, he's so racist. What happened was Trump's a racist. That's why he won 2016. I'm just waiting for Hillary to pop out and tell us all that's what happened. But. We've been hearing so much about how Trump is a racist. We've been hearing a lot less about, for example, the horrific stuff said outside of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's home by a bunch of libs who are driven to their rage, to their insanity by the mainstream media and by Democrat politicians who run around like Beto O'Rourke saying Trump is just like he's like worse than like Adolf Hitler because like. I mean, like, even, like, Hitler, like, was nice to dogs. Like, Beto is a moron. You know, there's just no way that you can justify the kinds of things that these Democrats are saying about this president in any sane world, in any realm of rationality. But they're just, they're all piling on now because it's it's an arms race of stupidity. Who can say the most outlandish thing about how terrible Trump is? That's what's going to get the headline. This is how you have uh, Scarborough over over at uh, MSNBC who wishes that his swoop was quite as grandiose as yours truly swoop. I am just saying. But he's saying insane stuff about Trump, horrific stuff about Trump. And yet when Mitch McConnell has people outside of his home saying, you know, murder, uh, calling him a murder turtle and uh, all kinds of things, then sure enough. You don't hear that stuff at all. You don't hear it. Um, You don't hear about it. Why is that? So Mitch McConnell had a Twitter account. The Twitter account got suspended. You might ask, why was the Twitter account suspended? Oh, that's right, because they shared footage of the lunatics outside Mitch McConnell's home. Here's what happened. Uh, uh, There was a 
uh, a tweet from Kevin McLaughlin. Hashtag massacre Mitch. Sorry, I was saying, you know, murder turtle. There's all kinds of things. Hashtag massacre Mitch. Uh, trended on Twitter for a full day and Twitter did nothing. Someone threatens to stab the majority leader at Team Mitch. That is Mitch McConnell. He posts the video and they get locked out. The NRSC, the National Republican Senate Committee is a senatorial committee is not spending money until this is addressed. That's right, folks. You can threaten the Senate majority leader on Twitter all day long and nothing happens. But if the Senate majority leader's account shows the threats so that people can see what's happening, that account gets shut down. What, what other uh, bias do you need to see? What else do you need to know about to understand how deep the bias runs here at Twitter and these other places? I mean, I think I think it's quite clear. Uh, and I'm glad that Trump is, is calling it out. And it's also nice to have a, a little bit of a respite, isn't it? Just from the constant, oh, my gosh, Trump, he's so racist. All the stuff that they're saying, because the rhetoric from the left is completely out of, out of line. And you know this. It's laughable, although it's really not funny at all. It's absurd. The kind of things that the left says on a regular basis about Trump, about his supporters, and then they want to lecture us on good faith debate and keeping things, you know, lowering the temperature a little bit. I mean, here's Maxine Waters, elected Democrat, folks, talking about Trump. Play five. I know the audio wasn't great there. She's saying, well, what if you if you get rid of Trump, then you have Pence? She said, quote, I say knock off the first one and then go after the second one. Yeah, she's a real sweetheart. You know, she's really somebody that's elevating the discourse, isn't she? And there are countless other examples here. There's so much else that we could point to to just show how completely out of line the left is on a regular basis. And yet now they want to lecture us. Joe Biden wants to lecture us, too. For those who I don't know, I started to doubt myself a little bit with my Joe Biden's not going to be the nominee. He's starting to look like he is. But then things like this happen. I know this seems minor, but uh, but play 19. This is Joe Biden today out at what is the Iowa State Fair? Play 19. Everybody knows who Donald Trump is. Even his supporters know who he is. We got to let him know who we are. We choose unity over division. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. I, we got to make a T-shirt there with Joe Biden's face on it. We choose truth over facts. <laughs> Joe Biden, man. Oh, the Bidenator, the Bideruski. Yep. He's trying real hard to seem like a fighter, but he's I just don't think he's got it in him. I don't think that he he's certainly not woke enough for the left. Is he dishonest enough? Is, is he full of enough slanderous vitriol toward the president of the United States? I, I think the answer is we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see. Um, the Dayton mayor, by the way, you know, Trump visited yesterday in El Paso, Texas and in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Nan Whaley, who I thought was a Democrat and sure enough, of course, is a Democrat uh, this is what she says about the, the leader of the free world, the commander in chief goes to heal the country 
in her city after something that, by the way, the Dayton shooter, nobody thinks was inspired by Trump. I mean, that's if anything, he was if you're going to start saying the inspired by stuff, which I don't like as a general rule. But if you're going to start saying, well, this person's politics or the reason or some part of the reason the Dayton shooter was an Elizabeth Warren supporter and a Bernie Sanders supporter. Why haven't you seen more of that in the media? Why haven't you seen more about his leftist inclinations? By the way, Byron York also did a great deep dive into the uh, manifesto of the El Paso shooter. And yes, there was some stuff on him. First of all, he says this person's crazy. So can we stop trying to think that there is a a cohesive and and, you know, piece by piece, block by block political philosophy that's motivating this psychopath there's really fragments of ideas all smashed together in this psycho's head. That's what the reality is. But if you look at the fragments, some of them have to do with, you know, he's he's down for the Green New Deal. I mean, the, the guy is not some MAGA hat wearing super Trumper. That was not the case with the El Paso guy. He just is a a psychotic anti-immigrant racist. But. There's a whole lot of other stuff that would be more in line with what what Byron York called national socialism. Ooh, that's right. The Nazis were socialists. I know we're never supposed to talk about that, but it's true. The Nazis were socialists. Just say it in front of a lib sometime and see the reaction you get. <gasps> it's almost as much fun as as pointing out to them, yeah, which was the uh, party that was in favor of of slavery and uh, and what was the party of segregation? And that's right, it was the Democratic Party, wasn't it? Huh. It's weird how you just don't hear more about that. National socialists were the Nazis. Segregationists, the slavery party was the Democrat party. Hmm. Yet now they're just so self-righteous about everything all the time, aren't they? Here's the Dayton mayor showing that plenty of uh, mid-sized cities have mayors who are deeply unimpressive. One of the biggest city in the country's mayor is a buffoon, so... I guess there's no no way to account for voter taste these days. Play four. Look, I mean, I think I've known and watched President uh, Trump's Twitter feed for a while. He is um, a bully and a coward, and uh, he's it's fine that he wants to bully me and Senator Brown. We're okay. We can take it. But the citizens of Dayton deserve action. And, you know, we're just hoping that, you know, this isn't just a typical politician that's all talk and no action. We want to see, and the citizens of Dayton want to see him do something around some common sense gun legislation. Can I just say that this, this, there's so much about that. First of all, comments, calling something common sense doesn't make it common sense. It's just a stupid high school debaters tactic, and it's annoying. Oh, it's all, let's just do common sense socialism. That doesn't mean it's common sense. Start with that. But this, this uh, assert, assertion that Donald Trump is a coward. Donald Trump was a super famous billionaire with a really hot wife and a big family and lots of stuff that he could have done in the world. He decided to have to put himself in front of the most relentless and uh, well-moneyed political machine in the world, the Clinton machine, and break the whole thing and defeat it and have at least, you know, 50 percent of the country more or less hate his guts for all eternity and have them try to imprison him and his family because he wanted to, oh my gosh, make America great again. Good heavens, anything but that. I mean, to call this guy a coward is just the height of stupidity. He's definitely not a coward. You can say you don't like his policies. You can say you don't like his tweets. 
Guy's not a coward. All right, he he uh, he took the full brunt of the left wing machine on the chin. He won, and he keeps doing it day in and day out. So I just I just have to know to call him a coward is absurd. It's absurd. But libs are full of absurdity these days. We know that. We'll talk more about the gun control policies that they're now trying to push. Got some more thoughts for you on red flag laws. Bernie Carrick's going to join for a couple of segments later on the show. I want to talk to him about uh, the possible Blagojevich pardon that's been floated out there. I want to talk to him about the Eric Garner uh, Officer Pantaleo incident and what should happen to Officer Pantaleo, how to clean up West Baltimore. I mean, he was commissioner of the NYPD, was going to be Department of Homeland Security chief, and then he got he got they decided to take him out to the woodshed for political reasons and really go after him. So we'll, and we'll talk about that, too. What's it like when the when the prosecutorial office is weaponized for political reasons against you? How, how does that feel? What is that like? We'll ask him about all that. So I'm, I'm looking. I, I like Bernie. I'm looking forward to talking to him. And we will also get into this movie, The Hunt, which that's right, folks. Hollywood is now making movies where Trump supporters more or less are getting hunted by rich East Coast libs. That's what's happening. We'll talk about it. Stay with me. I'm very glad that the Department of Justice and the FBI are treating this as domestic terrorism, as a hate crime. It clearly is terrorism and a hate crime and the full force of the prosecutorial authority of both the state government and the federal government will appropriately ensure that the maximum penalty is enforced against this, this mass murder. Look, that's been the position that all of us have held all along here. What happened in El Paso, what happened in Dayton, what also happened in Chicago, although it's, uh, the details are different, but it's still loss of innocent life through murder with firearms. Um, but what happened was, was horrible, and the full weight of the law should be brought against the people involved. But our animosity, our disgust should be reserved for the people that actually do the thing. And we should not allow conversations about policy to get dragged into a, oh, but this person that once did this terrible thing liked a few things that you like. So you're basically the same, which is what the game has been for libs all week. And this is not new. They've been doing this for uh, for quite some time. But we should not allow them to get away with that. Because if we're going to be concerned about what tears us apart, if we can't have a conversation with the other side without hearing, oh, that's so racist. Why are you so racist? Uh, this country is not long for this world as a place where ideas can flourish and, and we can live in, let's be honest, relative harmony with each other over, or, you know, there's been some interruptions in that in this country's history, but over relative harmony with each other despite having some very, very different ideas about important things. You know, we're not we don't just disagree left and right, Democrat and Republican about you know, minor issues of policy, you know, what the exact tax rate should be or, you know, when we how much early voting should be allowed and things like that. Although we do disagree about that. We also disagree about, you know, is an infant in the womb a human being or not? We disagree with the left on that one. And yet we still I mean, they're wrong, but we still live in the same country and try to deal with the same rule of law issues. And that's where we are. I think we're finally outside the 
the hysteria realm enough. I mean, we're never really outside the hysteria realm with libs, but we're outside this enough where we can all take a breath. They can't just get everything they want by calling us white supremacists. That They're not going to actually manage to steamroll anything that we have for political opposition on all kinds of bad liberal ideas out there by claiming that we are white supremacists. And in fact, I think some Democrats are smart enough to figure out that uh, they if they're going to win an election, they're going to have to do more than just call everybody racists and white nationalists and all the rest of it. They have to have some ideas that will make people want to vote for them. Just just peddling in in uh, hatred of Trump is not going to get them what they want. Governor Steve Bullock, who uh, he's he's one of these guys in the Democrat stage who's been telling them things that they don't want to hear. And he's right. Here's him talking about Obamacare, for example, and how single payer to get would get rid of Obamacare. I mean, they keep forgetting about this. Here's what he says. Play eight. It's taken us 70 years to get this close. It makes no sense to go back to square one. I stood on that debate stage, and I could not believe that after 70 attempts by Republicans, it's now the Democrats who are calling to repeal and replace Obamacare. If you propose abolishing private health insurance, you will lose. You will re-elect Trump. He's right. I almost, I almost want to be like, be, be very, very quiet. We, we don't want libs to figure out that if they abolish private health insurance, they're done. They're not going to win. I, I should probably be running on. Like, yeah, Bernie's plan is great. But what I'm bringing this all to here, folks, is that the uh, the Democrats lose when we talk about ideas and what matters. But they are pushing for these red flag laws. We should delve into that a bit more. And we will. They are still calling Trump a racist. It's unfair. It's nasty. But we have to fight back against it. Uh, also, some a major ice raid in Mississippi. Want to get into that and the way the media plays propaganda games about how those stories are told. We'll give the uh, counter narrative. That's all coming up in the next hour. I'm asking all Democrats, Democrats who want to run for president and come into the state of New York, just Make it a simple, clear choice for the American people. The Make America Safer pledge for elements, an assault weapon ban, high-capacity magazines, universal background check, mental health database, red flag laws. Those four elements of gun control will change this nation. They will change the nation Maybe not in a way that is quantifiable, but Governor Cuomo wants you to know that creating a mental health database will in no way be super creepy and Big Brother-like because you can totally trust this government not to lose data about your mental health, which he is smart enough to know may be one of the most personal... I can't. I can't keep going anymore. Think about this, folks. A mental a mental health database. Those of you who have been uh, who have been shouting from the rooftops about uh, red flag laws, you're right. It's a bad. It's a bad idea. I, I've thought more about the last couple of days. I'm looking at this. It's just not going to work. 
first of all, it's not going to it's not going to stop anybody. Uh, what you really need is to have, you know, you need to have intervention from family, from school, call on law enforcement can always do a, a, a well check on somebody if necessary, even a deterrence check. where they show up, they're like, look, we heard you're thinking about some crazy stuff. You really don't want to do that. And, you know, maybe threats need to be taken more serious. You can't threaten to kill people. That's a, that's illegal. Right? You can't say I'm going to go kill a bunch of people. That's illegal. So there are laws that I think should be better enforced that are on the books. And many of these different mass shooters violated those laws and for whatever reason we're not held to account for it but now they're talking about i mean outlawing assault weapons is just is we've done this it does nothing this is just people who they don't like something and so they're willing to ignore the fact that we already have the answer here we know that that doesn't work if they want to bring it back it's because they just don't like it but not liking something is not an excuse to infringe on the second amendment Number two, create a mental health database. Uh, the governor says create a mental health database. Right. That's terrifying. Those of you who have been writing me saying, OK, Buck, red flag laws. How does that affect somebody who served, served in the military, have PTSD? Are they going to take their firearms away now? And I said, no, no, of course, we need to have uh, strict protections for people that are seek therapy for PTSD. And, you know, our, our, our warriors should know they come back and they get all the help they need and have, and suffer no consequences. All, all they should have to suffer through is us shaking their hands and saying thank you when we see them in public. Um, but now they're talking about a mental health database. Oh, yeah, sure. That's that's not going to be abused. Think about what that's like if that ever gets leaked, by the way. Oh, you're going to we're going to trust the government. I mean, I got a letter saying that all my biographical information is basically sitting on a on you know a Chinese server right now. They know everything about me and I know my family's names, where I've lived. They know all kinds of stuff. Because I wanted to work for the government. We're going to trust that this mental health information is, is going to be, uh, that's just a centralized mental health database. Who's going to have access to that? Who's going to be able to run checks? Oh, someone's running, someone's running for office. But did they ever, you know, did they ever go through a deep clinical depression when they were going through a divorce or when they lost a loved one? Or maybe they had some struggles with alcohol abuse for a while and had to see a, a therapist, a counselor. Oh, that'd be really... Uh, Really juicy information, maybe, for a political opponent who just happened to be able to leak to the media, right? Oh, I don't think anyone's above it. One of the stories about Barack Obama that I've tried so hard to get more people to pay attention to, but no, you know, it was, it was Obama. He was untouchable. You couldn't stop him. Everyone loved him. He's amazing. All that. Well, you guys probably didn't, but a lot of other people did. Uh, although they're Democrats who listen to the show. What's up, Democrat Team Buck? I know you're you're coming over into the light. I know you are slowly but surely team buck Democrat. You're like, I can't tell my friends, but I listen to this guy and he's smarter and nicer and better at this than all the Democrats are. But I don't want anyone to know, but I still listen to his show. It's cool. You can be team buck stealth mode and we're still very happy to have you. And you don't have to change your party affiliation. You can go independent. Maybe maybe tell people you're independent or you stay Democrat and I don't know, maybe we're turning you into an infiltrator in the Democrat Party to bring us back information. Uh, but I, I have to say, I mean, there's just no way that. Oh, sorry, the Barack Obama story. Uh, the thing with Obama was that I was going to leave you on a cliffhanger there. What's the story about Obama, Buck? Right after this break, I'll give it to you. Uh, he had two political opponents in a row just happened to have by request of, I believe, David Axelrod's newspaper at the time, the Chicago Tribune, I think it was, um, but went to court to unseal, seal. Oh, and the judge just happened to say, yeah, I guess we'll unseal those 
sealed divorce records twice to clear the way with two of Obama's political opponents. Not once, but twice. Oh, yeah. That's in that convenient, folks. Isn't that easy for Obama there? Anyway, just trust me. Go look at it. This guy is something Ryan. I think his name might have been Jack Ryan, actually. I'm, I'm not. Uh, Producer Mike, check on that one for me. I think the guy's name is Jack Ryan, but he was not, in fact, a super government ninja who lives in Georgetown and is on the rowing team. Sounds like somebody else you got. What's up? That would have been great if it was the real Jack Ryan. Yeah. I mean, look, I'd vote for the real Jack Ryan. Uh, Anyway, they want to create a mental health database, pass universal background checks. All that means is that people that are selling guns to another individual are going to have to go to a, a federal firearm uh, licensee and uh, they're going to have to pay pay money. It just slows down the transactions, and makes people and then red flag laws, which leaves a lot of it's all oh, the devil's in the detail with those red flag laws. There's no question about it. So I, I, now that I see what they're really planning, this isn't going to make anything better. And I also just can't accept that the response to a tragedy like what we saw in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio is a politicized, well, this wouldn't have stopped it, but let's just do this anyway because we want to. No, I don't want to set that precedent. Speaking of Cuomo's, I'm trying to think if I have the other. There's another Cuomo, but this one is on CNN. Nobody needs 10 rounds to kill a deer. You guys remember that? It's back in the day. Some of you who are OG squad know what I'm talking about. That was way back when, when Governor Cuomo was showing what a, what an ignoramus he was when it came to the Second Amendment. But there was another, uh, the other Cuomo, the one who's got the show at CNN, uh, has shown that he has no under, he's basically taking the whole, oh, this was never meant to be an individual right, which is just, just shows a, a historical and legal Ill- illiteracy. Now, he's a lawyer, technically. I think he went to a SUNY law school somewhere. Um, one other one other fact for you folks, and this was making the rounds today, four times as many people, because I know there was just a mass stabbing in California, four times as many people die from stabbings every year as die from a uh, gun, a uh, rifle fire, I should say, from rifles. 4X. And Britain, don't think this is just a, a theoretical. Britain has thought about having more uh, stringent laws about knives and knife bans and all this stuff. So... These are these are unserious policy solutions that are pushed by people who, one, engage in demagoguery so they can create a hysteria of, oh, my gosh, we must do something. Why is the NRA not want to save lives? You know, they just do this whole get everyone whipped up into a frenzy. They don't care what the facts are. They don't care what the reality may be. Um, and, and then they try to ram it through while everyone's still. So, look, I I. I was open to hearing about red flag laws. The more I've read into them, the more I've seen what the other side really has in mind. I'm, I'm not on board. Not on board. Not a good idea. Uh, I mean, the sta- states can pass them and have passed them. I don't think that more states should follow suit. How about this? Give me one example of a time, credibly, that a red flag law looks to have saved lives. That's what I would like to know. Uh, Let's uh, play some of the sound uh, of President Trump uh, back in 2017 saying he had said today that he answered the question uh, perfectly. Uh, Let's take a listen. We 
you not have started this. They should have been Charlottesville. They should have been Charlottesville to protest. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Now, elsewhere in those remarks, the president did condemn neo-Nazis and white supremacists. So he's not saying that the neo-Nazis and white supremacists are very fine people, but he is saying people protesting alongside those neo-Nazis and white supremacists are very fine people. <sighs> why didn't we play the, why didn't uh, Tapper play the audio of where Trump did condemn them? Breitbart's Joel Pollack confronted Joe Biden on this very same issue of, oh, because remember, they Charlottesville was, they got him. You know, that was where, oh, see, we got him. Trump's a racist. No one really thinks that Trump likes the Tiki Torch idiots. Nobody really thinks that Donald Trump is like, yeah, those guys, they're great. It's all a lie. He was speaking, he was under, he was under a barrage from the media, and he was trying to speak more broadly about People who don't want statues being taken down and people who do want statues being taken down. He's not saying that the people that are yelling uh, about blood and soil are good people. That's not what he was saying. We all know it, but they pretend that they can't because because later on he said, no, those guys are terrible. So why would he say they're terrible in the same remarks in the same day if his intent all along isn't to say that they're terrible, right? This is just it's like they were in an interrogation and they got him to stumble on something. They go, aha. Now we've got you. Here's uh, Breitbart's Joel Pollack, who confronted Joe Biden about this. Play 15. Their veins bulging. He said specifically yeah, that specifically. he was condemning them. He no, he did not. He said he walked out and he said, let's get this straight. He said there were very fine people in both groups. They're chanting anti-Semitic slogans, carrying flags. Are you aware of Okay. Pollack is like, that's, that's not what happened that day. And we, we can keep going back to this, but... This is because this is a central this is a central media, uh, a central media lie that in context, what Trump was saying was really meant to be. Yeah, sure. That the the, the uh, Tiki Torch neo-Nazis, you know, there, there were good people in that group, too. That's, of course, not what the president was saying. But they pretend that that's what he says, because it makes them feel better to, to believe that, that, that the president's such an awful human being. And, you know, Joe Biden, who's trying to just keep his lead going now, he's going to say whatever he has. to. Look, he's Biden, the demagogue. This is who he always has been. Biden, the demagogue. So if he's getting traction by running around saying that Trump is a white supremacist, which is just a horrible thing to say, untrue, nasty, unfair. Biden's going to say it, though. Play 18. Do you believe that the president is a white supremacist? I believe everything the president says is done encourages white supremacists. And I'm not sure there's much of a distinction. As a matter of fact, it may be even worse. In fact, if you're out there trying to, in fact, curry the favor of white supremacists or any group that, in fact, is anathema to everything we believe. So whether he is or is not a white supremacist, he encourages them. Everything he does, he speaks to them. He's afraid to take them on. And if you notice, the one time he used the word white supremacy, he was, uh, you know, it was not, was he, he talked about sleepy. He was awful sleepy in the way in which he talked about it. Worse. You heard what Biden said there, worse than white supremacists in his own way. Worse than white supremacists. I mean, I, how much more disgraceful and dishonest are things going to get here? 
There are people who listen to this and they say, you know, they're Democrats. They say, I, you know, I, I like Joe Biden. I trust Joe Biden. They don't know that the Democrats are exaggerating, lying, misleading on this issue. They think, wow, the president really is. I mean, he's basically David Duke. That's what that's what the Democrats are saying. He might he might as well be in the KKK. Might as well be. In fact, Biden might say he's worse than somebody in the KKK because Biden's a moron. But this is where we are. This is what is uh, is happening across the country. And, you know, this is how they get attention from themselves. Oh, here's I mean, MSNBC, Elise Jordan. I remember when she used to think that she was a conservative. Now she's just a never Trumper who does the bidding like a little marionette, like a little puppet of the left. Here's what she says over on MSNBC nine. Very plain and obvious that Donald Trump is racist. He uses incendiary racial language constantly. I can't believe that right now in 2019 America, we are tolerating this kind of language and behavior. And there are people who are excusing it, people who are leaders who know better. And right now you work at the White House, you own this too, because you're supporting and uplifting Donald Trump's racist regime. She used to go on Real News in the Blaze. She used to appear sometimes as a guest on that show when I was one of the hosts. Miss, uh, she was all about the Tea Party, you know, conservative. Oh, yeah. Now it's whatever. It's a puppet. Whatever MSNBC wants her to say, do, do, do. I'll just attack Republicans. I'll attack Trump. Call him a racist. If you work at the White House, you own this, too. They, they want to smear everybody around him. They want to isolate the president. They want to they make it impossible to be a person of good character and still work with this president. That's their plan. That's the plot. It's disgusting. You guys all know that I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, T-Money Carlson, also known as Tucker Carlson. Uh, Tucker is, he's doing so much good work on Fox News. And I, and I always appreciate this too. There's some guys in the TV business who could do a lot more for the, the Buckster here, and they just, for whatever reason, on our team, they choose not to. Not going to name names, but some of them just choose not to help, not to put me on, on their show, and even though they know that I'm as good as anybody else at this stuff. Tucker is very generous. Tucker likes to have me on his show, which I appreciate, because I'm good on his show, and he's good on his show, and it makes for good TV. Here's Tucker, though, getting to a core point about all this Trump is racist stuff. Play 12. Is now telling you and demanding that you believe that anyone who supports Donald Trump is a white supremacist and must be destroyed. Now, they're telling you that for political reasons. This is election season, obviously, and they want more political power. But there are other reasons, too, that they're saying this. Ever wonder why rich people seem the most hysterical on the subject? Ever notice that it's the highest paid people on television who are the most determined to convince you that white supremacy is America's biggest problem? Why is that? Simple. Every minute you're angry about race is a minute you're not thinking about class, which, of course, is the real divide in this country. Working class people of all colors have a lot more in common, infinitely more in common with each other than they do with some overpaid MSNBC anchor. And if you were allowed to think about that for long enough, you might start to get unauthorized ideas about economics. And that would be disruptive to a very lucrative status quo. So they whip you into a frenzy of racial fear so that it never enters your mind. It's a diversion. Everyone else hates each other. They get to keep their money. Pretty tricky. Unfortunately, it's also destroying the country. This is the path to civil war, obviously. We'll be right back. It's not just 
uh, uh, 11 years. We got about 10 years before we lose the opportunity to stop the erosion that's occurring now. First thing I would do as President of the United States, I'd rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, which I helped put together. And But one other thing people don't know about that accord, it calls for what we negotiated. It requires those 190-some nations to up the ante every two years. Folks, we are responsible for 15% of global warming. Joe Biden's just not very smart. He might win the Democratic nomination anyway, but he's he's lost a step. He's too old and he was never very smart. Here he is saying, that you know, right away he'd rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. Yeah, because 190 countries are really going to be held to standards of climate change that are that are meaningful, like the Chinese, the Indians and other countries are really going to put enormous artificial constraints on their economic growth because a bunch of religious zealots, which is what climate change catastrophists are, are claiming that we have 10 years to save the planet. I, I don't know what to say other than this is all you have to have is common sense. And you know that these people are, are nuts. It's all you have to have. The same voices, the same models, wrong, wrong and wrong again. They don't practice what they preach. And they love preaching it, though. Now, this is what I always say, and I'm not trying to start a whole vaccine discussion here because some of you get very contentious with me about that, and you're entitled to, but every doctor I know who says vaccinations are safe and you should do them, every single one I've ever talked to, and I've talked to many of them about this, have been vaccinated, and they get their kids vaccinated. If they just had a newborn, guess what? The newborn's going through the standard vaccination protocol. So whether you agree or disagree, at least we can, we can all agree that they are living, they are practicing what they preach. The people most precious to them, they think, should be vaccinated. I've never come across an MD that 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 was not the case. All I come across with the loudest voices on climate change are individuals who are like, oh, you should stop eating like you know meat. And but I'm going to take a private jet to this climate change conference because I'm really important. <sighs> and it is a religious belief. If you don't think that that's the case, you know, Frank Luntz who, I don't know, I guess he wants to be a little more popular with the libs. He wants some good lib press. He's now decided that he is, uh, he was a climate change skeptic, but now he's come over into the light, you know? And, and oh man, it's, look, it's good on the other side. I always say this to people, if I really wanted to have a nice life and make money and, you know, have beautiful women clapping for me every time I went on TV over at MSNBC and CNN, you know, and the whole thing, uh, I, I would be a lib. Because it's so much easier. You know, you get all the celebrity, all the, and I meant, when I meant beautiful women, I meant like the celebrities, you know, I'd, I'd get the, the various actresses would say, oh, he's so good on television. Instead, I get, you know, people telling me that I'm part of the uh, dark, dark psychic force or whatever. <laughs> I, I get, you know, I get told that I'm destroying the country by all my favorite, uh, all my favorite female actresses, the ones who at least have come across my work. Uh, but Frank, I don't know what his deal is. He decided he's, he's switching teams. And, you know, he's he's not allowed back, according to the New Republic. This is what I thought was fascinating. Climate de- reformed climate deniers don't deserve redemption, according to the New Republic, which is a lefty, a lefty rag online. Democrats are seeking advice from people who once opposed action on global warming. They should be seeking accountability. See, folks, they 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 want to punish 
heretics more than they want to make converts on climate change. Because what's the best thing about climate change, really? What is the thing about it that is so seductive? It's, yeah, people that that believe in climate change, it gives them a sense of purpose. It makes them think that they're part of the smart set. You know, they like science. You know, whether you're a man or a woman has nothing to do with your genitalia, they say. But, you know, they believe in climate change, so they like science. I mean, these people are nuts. Um, But the single most seductive part of climate change for libs and for the leftist mentality is that you get to think you're better than other people just because you agree with this one thing. You're a better human being. And they don't want that to be taken away from them because it's a great they talk about otherizing on the left all the time. What better otherizing could there be than you're so backwards in your thinking as a climate change skeptic or or denier? Remember, they use the term denier explicitly to link questioning climate catastrophe with Holocaust denial, because you are in that same category of moral reprobate if you have any questions about climate change. Meanwhile, every every honest and real scientist, the reason they don't appear on TV is because if you made them appear on TV and ask them, hold on a second, the IPCC report, which they always talk about, does it really say the world's going to end in 12 years? Or does it say that if X, Y, Z and a bunch of other things happen in the worst possible way they could happen, we could have catastrophic warming in 50 years. But we also have a whole bunch of ways where we could have no catastrophic warming whatsoever, according to the, the Inter- Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change UN report. Any honest scientist would have to say, yeah, there's there's plenty of ways that even even if you believe all their models and everything else, and I don't even believe their models, their models just make it up as they go along. I mean, their models are a joke. Uh, even if you believe everything, there's still a very serious, very realistic chance that nothing would happen based on their own. But they just pick the worst case scenario based on data that's being fudged with a million different ways. Anyway, um, but they they want to make sure that if you've ever been on the wrong side of this, they don't really want you to switch teams. They prefer to have you there so you can continue to take abuse. You're the bad guy. You're on the bad side of this. You're one of the bad people. If you want to know how bad they are, get ready for all kinds of moralizing on meat. Oh, yes, friends. They're coming for your bacon. You heard it here first. There's a big movie coming out this fall. Schwarzenegger's in it. This guy who I think is the world's strongest man is in it. You know, they're, the line, I've seen the trailer for it. They do this. He has this line, you know, do you, do you ever worry? Do you ever hear strong as an ox? We ever seen an ox eat meat? Well, oxes are very large and don't move particularly fast. So I'm not really sure I want to mimic an, an ox's metabolic rate and all that. But anyway, uh, there's going to be a war on meat coming your way. I'm serious. Wall Street Journal today has a piece. Climate experts advise eating more vegetables, less meat. After issuing a new report detailing farming's contribution to warming, research researchers suggested diet changes to reduce the impact. Researchers have said that people should consider eating more vegetables. The switch may help slow greenhouse gas emissions because farming vegetables releases less greenhouse gases than livestock production. Diets that are rich in plant-based foods have lower greenhouse gas emissions than diets heavy in red meat consumption, according to climatologist Cynthia Rosenzweig, who's at NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies. 
folks. This is the cow fart thing. They're not going to call it that, but this is here we are again being told by scientists going into an election year in this country, of course, eat more veggies because the cow farts are destroying the world. This is this is what we have to deal with. It's stunning, but they won't stop. They are coming for your bacon. They're coming for your porterhouse. God forbid they're coming for your ribeye. They're going to tell you what you can and can't eat. And if they're in charge in the government, guess what? They're going to regulate. You know, this is another version of the socialist mindset is, well, if we can't control the market by owning it and running it, we'll control it through, oh, you guessed it, regulation. We'll direct all market-based activity through just regulation. This is another way that the socialist statist mentality inflicts itself on all the rest of us. I'm going to tell you this, and you're, not, you're going to think that I make this up, but I even read a piece, I think it was a week ago, that was about reformed vegetarians, I kid you not, who now say, I think they might have even been vegans, which is a whole other thing, but they're reformed vegetarians for sure who are saying, no, you should eat meat because a lot of the plant-based crops are so water and resource intensive that it's better to have a balanced diet. That's better for the environment. Folks, they don't know. No one really knows. There is uh, 25% of the world, and particularly in the major cities of the world, water scarcity is becoming a major issue. You know what the, some of the worst crops are globally for uh, water usage? Rice. I think soybeans are up there, too. I know rice is, though. I mean, there's very water-intensive uh, crops out there. So you, you're just, you know, they're, they're always going to run these scare campaigns to get you to do what they want. Here's what I say. Shields high. Eat your steak, eat your bacon, just have it be a balanced meal, you know, steak and bacon. That's balance. You know, the Green New Deal says we need to get rid of cows. I don't agree with that because well-managed grasslands where you rotationally graze, Uh you know, all these paddocks Uh like that system there has about eight different paddocks. Uh You're actually going to... Use more CO2 and sequester more carbon because of the regrowth all the time. Uh-huh. And yet, you know, that's a permanent pasture. So anyway, my point is we have become so ignorant of the basic principles of biolog- biology in food production that we have said we answer them all through technology instead of letting mother earth mm-hmm. and having respect oh wow you mean an actual farmer in iowa doesn't agree with the green new deal insanity this is where i tell you if you want to if you want to read a very academic and dry but excellent treatment of why central planning fails read seeing like a state german forest uh, forestry Smartest minds in all of Germany in the uh, late 19th century say, I've got a good idea. If we want trees that we can harvest, let's plant them in rows. Let's plant them perfectly spaced apart. Let's plant one type of tree. This way we have all the same implements. We can uh, we can standardize everything. We can count everything. We know what yield we'll get, and it will be fantastic. You know what the problem was with the state German uh, forestry? They didn't really have anybody who understood 
how a forest works. They didn't understand that you need undergrowth and you need trees to burn. You need things to happen. You need there to be greater diversity because you could have uh, species uh, die off in a certain area, especially if you have a different anti, you know, tree fungus and other things that come along. You want diversity of the different kinds of plants. There's a reason that forests look the way they do and they don't look like they were built by a robot. Actually, there's actually a sense to Mother Nature. It's beyond just, but, you know, they had to figure it out the hard way. They had to have whole whole forests just die off because they had only one kind of tree and then all of a sudden something came along and killed all the trees and they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have as rich soil afterwards either because there's just so much. I mean, they completely messed the whole thing up. But this is just another uh, another instance of improvisation at a local level that is this is the 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 constant failure of central planning comes from the lack of ability to make individualized localized decisions based on data data that generally comes from the market but also just comes from being there on the ground right you know this is you know if you've got if you've got to take this it's almost like a battlefield tactic situation if you got a sniper on a foreign battlefield, if we got one of our guys, we got a you know marine sniper, and he's getting ready to take the shot. Is that sniper and the spotter are they are they the ones best situated to pull that trigger and make that determination, or should they call back to a guy on you know in the E ring of the Pentagon who's talking to a guy who's you know in Baghdad who's talking to a guy who's in Mosul who's then real you know no you want localized decision-making for a local outcome. And this is why central planning always fails. This is why the Green New Deal fails. Um, speaking of, I don't really have a, I don't really have a perfect uh, transition here. The Castro tweet, I just want to get in this for a couple minutes again. Because, um, you know, Donna Brazil, some of you, I did Donna Brazil's show, or rather I did Outnumbered on Fox News with Donna Brazil pretty recently. And I will say she's a very charming lady. She's very nice to me off off camera. And I always appreciate that. I like happy warriors. I like people that, you know, they want to disagree on air and they want to put out their ideas, but then they're decent human beings off air. I always I always appreciate because not everyone's like that. Uh, but Donna, Donna's very friendly. Off, I will tell you, and some of you are you can boo me, but I speak the truth. Van Jones was also always a very friendly guy offset. Very, very uh, well mannered. He just was. You know, there are others who are horrible. Rula Gibral, horrible. Anna Navarro, horrible. I mean, I, I could name a whole bunch of different different people. Anderson Cooper, never say a word to me. Every time I'm in the green room, never had a word. Just never like, hey, man, what's up? Nothing. Like I did not exist. So, you know, some people are cool. Some people, some people suck. It's just reality. But Donna's actually pretty cool. I don't like her ideas, but she's a cool lady. Here's what she said about the Castro tweet. Let's call good out when it's good. And this is good. Play one. When you decide in, in, a, in a political rally on Twitter, social media, to put names out, you put people in jeopardy. You put, you put them in jeopardy because you don't put the context. This is a First Amendment right to contribute to any candidate. I don't like the, what I call uh, you know, people coming at you simply because you're doing your job or you're supporting a candidate. Yep, that's right. 
It's gross. See, even some old school Democrats know that this is crossing a line. This is this has gone too far. And what Joaquin Castro did was disgraceful. And anybody, including Joe Scarborough, who, look, I I understand Joe Scarborough's deal. He's just obsessed with Joe Scarborough and will do anything and say anything as long as he gets to keep his show at MSNBC and keep making, you know, millions of dollars a year to do a job that a lot of people would be better at for, you know, a couple of hundred grand, really, honestly. But, you know, he'll say whatever he has to say. I mean, this is a guy who was Trump's buddy, buddy, until all of a sudden Trump was like, you know what? I don't like this guy anymore. And then he became the greatest anti-Trumper you could ever imagine. Right. But going after donors, this really pulls apart this country politically. And it's scary and it's wrong. Um, There's a guy who's a Trump donor who talked here about how, you know, he also just is sick of what's been going on all week, which is everyone just calling everybody racist because of who they support politically. Play two free country notion that uh, I'm not free to support or uh, think what I think is uh, and and to be bullied with slurs of racism or just I think a lot of people that uh, of my generation that support uh, the president are tired of it mm-hmm we are tired of it I know I'm tired of it I hate I mean I go into my mentions on Twitter which I try to avoid doing unless it's one of you and you know then I'll actually read it um, and if I see like hashtag team buck, then I know, OK, at least I want to read what this person's saying. But you go to your mentions and I'll be talking. It doesn't matter what I'm talking about. Racist. Why? Just because because I support Donald Trump. That makes me a racist. How about this? What if I supported Trump just because I couldn't in good conscience support the Democrats because they're insane? How about that? Maybe that's the defense against the you must be racist. Well, no, I just can't vote for a party run by crazy people. How about that? Is, is, is that an acceptable way to get around this whole racist thing? Because it's nothing to do with racism. It has to do with, I'm not voting for the socialist infanticide gender eradication party. How about that? It is terrifying for the families who've been torn apart, for kids who don't know when or if they're going to see their kids, uh, their, their parents again. Um, this is um, part of the environment in this country that sees immigrants as the enemy or a danger or or something less than human to be treated in this way. Um, So we've got to change these practices if we're going to be able to change the the kind of violence and the kind of hatred that we see in this country right now. Change it how, Beto? It's the law. This is the enforcement of existing law. If you don't like the law... You should say we need to repeal it. You shouldn't just operate in this make believe land of well, the law can say what it says because I don't have the strength of character to advocate for its repeal. But then I'm going to complain and pull out all the crocodile tears for the cameras to show how much I care about the Latino population's troubles with illegal immigration and and the enforcement of our immigration laws. You had 680, wow, CNN calls them undocumented workers. Illegal aliens, CNN. The term is illegal aliens. That is the legal term. If somebody breaks into your home and steals things, they are a burglar. They are not an unrequested temporary visitor. Anyway, 680 illegal aliens were arrested in this immigration sweep. So there are some ICE raids that are happening. I will note, I was on Fox a few weeks ago and Tom Homan came up to me afterwards. Tom Homan's great. 
And he said, you know, you're totally right, because I'd gone on TV and said, look, they have to actually do this. They can't keep saying ice raids are going to happen and they don't happen. That that does not deter anybody. In fact, that is the opposite of a deterrence effect. But so now that there's the beginning of some enforcement, and this was at some plants where there were undocumented, undocumented workers there. Now that this is happening, what do you think the approach of the media is? Are they saying, you know what? We should just never have anyone deported from this country because there should be no such thing as illegal illegal status in this country anymore. No, they won't say that, even though that's what they want. Now they go for the heartstrings. Now they start telling stories about how sad the kids are. Keep in mind that we arrest people in this country for all kinds of things that separate them from their families. And we don't hear these. We we don't have these sob stories about it. Every single person who's illegal in the country made an active decision, made a choice to break the law. Nobody kidnapped them and dragged them across the border. None of the people in this ICE raid who were arrested were brought here against their will. They're not dreamers. These are adults working in this facility. They're not covered under DACA and DAPA and all that stuff, or maybe they would have been under DAPA, but that's a whole other story. They made a choice, and they are an active violation of the law. Now, if Democrats hate that so much, they should just say they want to get rid of the law, but... The Washington Post, CNN and others are all about the crying children. Here's the Washington Post today. ICE arrested hundreds of people in raids. Now devastated children are without their parents. <gasps> Separating families. Separating families. That's the whole point here. That's the propaganda effect. Oh, the, every criminal law. We separate families in this country for drug sale and possession on a regular basis. And a lot of people say that that shouldn't be illegal. You know, you're just providing a service, you know, selling weed on the street. Should you really go to prison for it? Well, people do. And those families get separated all the time in a lot of communities where families are under tremendous pressure as it is to stay. You know, they should be staying together and they're not. But it's all about the sad kids, all about kids crying and and how we're and look, do I feel badly for the kids? Of course, no one's no one's a, 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 an unfeeling maniac here it's it's i feel badly for kids but i feel badly for kids whose parents get sent away for you know white collar crimes too i feel badly when a 12 year old finds out that you know daddy cheated on his taxes and he's going to go spend a year in federal penitentiary these individuals are overwhelmingly the worst thing that's going to happen is they get sent to their home country they could reunite their family in their home country where they have citizenship, folks. That, that's a possibility. No one's getting 10 years in prison. When they say the families are separated, no one's getting 10 years in prison because they're in the country illegally, unless they've done a lot of other really bad things. But they may be sent home. Okay, well, if you don't want the family to be broken up, take your family with you to the country of your citizenship. That is your home. Under the law, that's just the way it is. But they don't like this law. Well, I like that over at uh where was this um over in denver and uh this is denver abc7 there's another another side to this story too if we're going to hear about the kids who cry because their parents get arrested in ice raids and that's supposed to be the totality of the policy opposition to this well then we should hear about this too and good for these denver reporters this is by uh, jacqueline allen and the abc affiliate in denver 
suspect in crash that killed father of five, was facing deportation, driving without a license. Here's the story. Quote, eight months after he sought sanctuary from a Colorado Springs church to avoid deportation, Miguel Ramirez Valiente stands accused of careless driving with a revoked license in a crash that claimed the life of a father of five. Now, those who know Ramirez Valiente say he never should have been driving. It took people saying, you need to say something about this to get that family help and justice. And that's when we made the call, said a close acquaintance of Ramirez Valiente, who asked to have her identity protected for safety. My heart broke for this family because this could have been prevented. Last Friday, Sean Buchanan, a father of five, was riding his motorcycle on Highway 83 when Colorado State Patrol Trooper said another driver swerved into his lane and killed him. He was amazing, said his grieving wife, Kathy, struggling to cope with an unimaginable loss. It's trying to figure out what the new normal looks like when the old normal was so good. The other driver, Miguel Ramirez Valiente, received national media attention in January while seeking sanctuary at a Colorado Springs church. He was pleading to avoid deportation to El Salvador to stay with his family. I can't be separated from them, he said. I've always worked hard to support my family. They depend on me. But those who know Ramirez said his arrest history tells a different story, and they want the Buchanan family to know it. This family deserves to know who they're dealing with, said a close acquaintance of Valiente's. He's an alcoholic and an abuser. His arrest record shows charges for reckless endangerment in 2011 in Douglas County and domestic violence in El Paso County. CBI records show both cases were dismissed by the district attorney's offices. In 2018, he pleaded guilty to a 2017 charge of driving under the influence and his license was revoked. On August 1st, one day before the deadly crash, his probation for that DUI was extended because he had not completed alcohol therapy. He was driving without a license when troopers said he overcorrected and swerved into Buchanan's lane on August 2nd. Those who know Ramirez Valiente question whether he should have been arrested or deported long ago. He should have been arrested after the crash, said a woman who knows him. He just had a DUI and he's driving with no license and he killed somebody. Like, you shouldn't walk away from that. Now she's worried he will flee before he's brought to justice. So, folks, end quote there. I mean, this is... You know, this is a father. There's, there's a, a photo of him, father of five, two adopted young African-American children, and then three other children. His father of five is gone. He's separated from his family forever. Not just, oh, I, I don't get to live in the country where I have access to a better job market and better welfare benefits. That's always an option for people who are deported. Take your family back where you are a citizen instead of enforcing your own view of immigration law by just staying here. But we're going to talk about separated families and crying children. This illegal, who should have been deported right away, stuck around, got chance after chance in the system, was an alcoholic and an abuser, allegedly. And then he killed a guy uh, who had five kids. They're never going to see their dad again. Do we hear that story from the media? Well, you'll hear it here. I guarantee you, you won't see it on CNN. Help you? What state is this? Sorry. 
You don't understand the question? Oh, no, I don't. Most people know where they are. Why ain't most people? You're in the glorious state of Arkansas, sweetheart. Your idea is incredible. I can't argue with that. We pay for everything. So this country belongs to us. It's just business. Hunting human beings for sport. They're not human beings. <laughs> so that's the trailer for this movie that's now getting all kinds of attention. I'm starting to think that this was all the plan, my friends, because it's so egregious and so over the top that they had they had to know that this was going to turn into a big a big issue for them. Right. So this is the movie The Hunt. And they're they're now saying that it's a satire. And it's where uh, thrill seekers fly down to a a five star resort and then they go and hunt down humans. And it's super liberal, uh, you know, elitists who are hunting down essentially MAGA people, people from red states who are kind of more just American and and all that stuff. So, you know, you, you can kind of figure out how this whole thing goes. I mean, there, if you there's more video out there where they release some weapons to them so they can fight back a little bit. But obviously, they're supposed to be hunted down and killed. And this is by Blumhouse Pictures, I think, which is the same the same company that did. I believe the same people behind this, the ones that did Get Out, which I think is one of the worst movies i think they're also behind get out am i john john am i right we got producer john by the way in for producer mark today uh yeah let me take a look at that let me i think it's the same one i know it's blumhouse hillary swank is in it she's been kind of she's been kind of mia for a while so i don't know what she's been up to um but it's yeah so it's a movie that everyone's getting all all upset well particularly because this week uh, there's a there's a sense that we're always being told that oh there's you know we need to have more um, friendly rhetoric and exchange with each other and uh, people are very upset about this because it shows essentially liberal elites hunting uh, red state I don't know Trump supporters I don't think it gets that explicit about Trump support per se but it's definitely implied here. Universal Studios uh, or Universal Pictures rather has temporarily pulled some of the trailers for this movie. And let me just make sure I've got all, all the right details here. Yeah, we got Hillary Swank and uh, people are obviously sensitive about it because of what's happened this week. But we got, yeah, Jason Blum is producing this alongside Damon Lindelof. And it's coming out in September I just think it's look, it's going to be a crap movie. First of all, it's not even a particularly original. It's not really an original idea. In fact, some of you, the true action movie devotees in the uh, in the audience, as soon as I told you the concept for this movie, you should have thought to yourself, oh, so now they're ripping off Van Damme movies because there was a Van Damme movie that I have seen more times than I care to admit called Hard Target, where he is in New Orleans and he's being hunted down, and Van Damme plays this guy who is Cajun, and yes, has a mullet. And he has great lines like, your name is Chance? And he's like, yeah, my mama took one. Just like that in his little Van Damme, his little Belgian French accent, my mama took one. Uh, but yeah, Van Damme is in the movie, and it's they take people who are, in, in that case, it's I mean, 
they take people who are essentially homeless and, and alcoholics and then they offer them money and they actually just hunt them down. It's a really messed up premise. Uh, but that movie was already, and of course, Van Damme turns the tables on the bad guys and does a lot of fly kick, a lot of uh, tip-tap kick where he does the leg that is extended, but kick, 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 you know, like a ballet dancer. Because Van Damme actually did some ballet too, folks, by the way. Makes you very strong, true story. Not that I've ever tried it. Now, some of you are thinking about Buck doing ballet, and that's an image you're never going to be able to get out of your minds. But yeah, Van Damme, uh, hard target. This movie, The Hunt, it's great publicity for them, even though they're having to pull publicity right now because the whole country's talking about it. Uh, you know, is it, do I, do I think that this is going to change anything or, you know, how, how upset should we really be? Um, look, you know, there's, there's, very, there's all kinds of very offensive movies that are made. There's a, a pretty clear tendency in pop culture right now to always go right wing on, I mean, go against the right, I should say. Always uh, pick on the right wing. And this is this is going to be no different from that. But I, I do not think I'll end up seeing this movie. It's a, They also made The Purge, which is overrated. I mean, it was an interesting concept, but it's really not that. The, the Purge movie, when I saw it, it really was not that well executed. Uh, I thought it was, uh, there's a lot of hype around it. And then there's the, the more recent Purge movie that came out, um, I can't even remember what it was, but that one just goes way, way off the rails. So, yeah, this is what everyone's talking about today, a movie hunting deplorables. Look, we know there's a double standard, folks. The double standard is that anything that is associated with conservatism will be bashed if it has any violence in it or any. You know, and, and liberals can actually make movies, call it a a farce, or uh, they can actually make movies that have them hunting people who live in red states, and we're supposed to think that, oh, this is not... Look, it's silly. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't critique it all that much. But just wanted to note, this is getting a lot letting, getting a lot of attention. Um, I did watch some of season two of Bad Blood, by the way. I'm going to give you, a, a, as a little favor to my listeners, season one of Bad Blood on Netflix, pretty good. Season two, garbage. Just completely collapses into nonsense. It, it, it no longer is based on a true story. And you can just tell that it they lose their best actors except for the lead guy. The storyline all of a sudden doesn't make any sense. They got all these mafia bosses who are getting into one-on-one -on -one gun battles with pistols themselves. It's just not, it's not good. It's not good. So I got to tell you, to I don't want you to watch season two and then blame me for that one. So bail on Bad Blood season two on Netflix and bail on The Hunt. I don't think it's going to be a good movie. It's not worth anyone's time. But I also don't want to get too upset about it because that just gives them free press. In the president's statement on Air Force One, he said, quote, I'm very strongly considering that. I think he was treated unbelievably unfairly, and he's a Democrat. He's not a Republican. And we're thinking about commuting his sentence so he can go back home to his wife and children. And I'm very impressed with his family. I'm very impressed with his wife. I mean, she has lived for this. She's one hell of a woman. She has lived. She goes on and makes her case. And it's really very sad. Is President Trump going to uh, possibly pardon Blagojevich. It's got a lot of attention today, folks. People are reporting on it across the country. I want to bring somebody on who could discuss this, as, all, uh, as well as some issues of uh, policing and gun control. We're joined now by Bernard Carrick. He is the uh, 40th police commissioner of the NYPD in the city of New York, also a New York Times bestselling author. Bernie, great to have you on. Thanks, Buck. All right, first off, Blagojevich, a lot of people hear this 
And I even know conservatives, and they immediately roll their eyes and they go, oh, you mean the guy who said a, a Senate seat's a blanking valuable thing? You don't just give it away? I mean, that's the quote that everybody thinks of. I've seen you take a more lenient and, and or perhaps more open-minded approach to the possibility of a, of a commutation or a pardon for Bogoyevich. Why is that? Here's why. Um, give me one member of Congress, one politician that works in Washington, D.C., that makes a decision, and it's not based on some political gain or political ramification that would benefit them. Give me one. You can't. You can't give me one, because nobody in Washington, D.C. does anything political without looking at how it's going to impact them to the positive. That's exactly what this guy was doing. He talked about politics on the phone, and more importantly, there was no personal gain. There was no financial gain. There was no political gain. Basically, he went to prison for 18 years for politicking. And, and think of it this way, Buck. This is, I, I think of this in a, in a much more dramatic way. There's a convicted terrorist that was convicted in the same courthouse, I think by the same judge in the same courtroom, convicted of planning a mass shooting attack on American citizens. He was sent to prison for eight years. Eight years. Why do you, why do you think they went after... Blagojevich so hard. I mean, getting over a decade for what he did. I mean, who who was really the victim of Blagojevich's crimes? That's one there question. Was there, there was none. There was no victim of his crime. And like I said, there was no gain personally uh, for him, professionally, financially, uh, politically. There was no gain. All he did was talk about politics. So here's here's the reality. In today's world, and nobody knows this better than the President of the United States, we are living in a society today where selective and political prosecutions are pretty much the norm. A lot of this started with Rod Blagojevich. A lot of this started 10 years ago. The reality is Rod Blagojevich was the target of a selective and political prosecution, and they wanted to make an example out of him. And in doing so, he was sentenced to 18 years for talking about something that never happened, talking about something that he gained nothing from, and it's bizarre. It's completely bizarre. When you think of the Constitution, when you think of does the, does the uh, punishment fit the crime, this is insanity. This is complete insanity. He could have been given probation. He could have been given a year and a day. He could have been back with his family, paying taxes, taking care of his family. His daughters have gone out, or gone without his father for for over seven years now. It's costing us thirty to forty thousand dollars a year to take care of a guy that we could have really reaped rewards from in a number of different ways had we given him, you know, community service. And Bernie, this is something. This... This this obviously hits home for you because you're somebody who, in your own life, and uh, dealt with what I would say, just from my perspective, was certainly an overzealous prosecution. Can you just tell yeah, the folks yeah. that are listening, you know, what what you what they came in? I mean, I remember that the judge gave you more than even the prosecutor wanted, right? I mean, it, you had a particularly egregious exactly case of overzealous. Right. 
I had a, uh, you know, I, listen, in, to short to short summit, if you will, uh, I was nominated for the director, of the secretary of Homeland Security in 2004. I accepted the nomination. I had to drop out and withdraw my name from consideration because I hired a nanny, a domestic servant for my kids, and I paid that nanny cash over a two-year period, which in today's world is completely bizarre to me since every Democrat in the country is trying to let every illegal into this country. And, uh, you know, I basically was sent to prison uh, for four years for hiring a nanny, not paying payroll tax on the nanny, some apartment renovations. Um, Mine was a political prosecution. It was a selective prosecution. The probation department, the prosecutors, my attorneys all agreed that I would be, uh, I would plead guilty and serve 27 to 33 months. Yet my judge, who was as political as they get, uh, a big, huge Democratic supporter, friends with Hillary and everybody else, um, he gave me 48 months. So I went to prison for three years and 11 days. I ran the largest jail system in this country. I've run the largest police department in this country, and I've been inside the system. Nobody knows better than I do how flawed and failed our criminal justice system is. But i got to be honest, Buck, nobody's ever seen it like they've seen it now in this Russian you know, witch hunt or hoax or whatever you want to call it against the president and, and what's going on in Washington. What happened to me and Blagojevich is only a tip of the iceberg. So you are you are in favor then of a at least a commutation, if not a pardon, for Rod Blagojevich. That's that's fair to say. Should, I think he should have been commuted uh, six years ago. You know, if the president wants to pardon him, so be it. Um, I think he's done enough time. I think you can benefit from his release in a number of different ways. Um, and, and I think he has to get back to his family. So I'm all I'm one thousand percent in support of the president commuting in a sense. When you were going through that process, Bernie, I never had a chance to really ask you about this, but was there anybody who would look you in the eyes and say, yeah, this seems fair what you're getting, you're getting what you deserve, or does everyone just look at you in this process when there is a politicized prosecution and say, well, you know, this is just kind of happening, sorry? You know what, uh, Buck, that's a really good question, because the people in the political world, they'll look at you and say, I get it. I understand it. This is the life you, you you know. This is the price you pay for the life you choose, and and that's a hell of a thing to say, especially to a public servant. You know, I just spent uh, I just spent eight weeks out in San Diego. Uh, I put together the legal team for Chief Eddie Gallagher, the U.S. Navy SEAL, who was recently acquitted of war crimes. We went through the same thing. An overzealous prosecutor. Uh, prosecutors that lied to a judge, prosecutors that spied on a defense team, prosecutors that never should have brought a case in the first place. And this is something that continues to happen. And uh, and I have to tell you, people that in the political world, they seem to, they get it. They understand it. They know it. And the problem I have is every member of Congress knows how it works and knows what happens, yet they don't do anything to fix it. That's what bothers me the most. And they also, listen, what they do is they weaponize. They weaponize the, uh, our criminal justice system for their own political gain, and that's what we've seen against the president. I've done an experiment before, Bernie. We're just off the top of my head on radio. I've rattled off all of the 
high profile and in many cases national level and nationally recognizable Republican politicians who have been the subjects of what is effectively a precursor to the Trump witch hunt, right? But you look at uh, Rick Perry going after him for the exercise of his office as a governor, trying to get a drunk attorney general who was caught drunk driving out of office. They went after, I mean, zealously uh, went after Chris Christie on Bridgegate. They went after Scott Walker in Wisconsin for nothing, trying to get him on collusion with outside groups with his campaign they went after mcdonald and his wife in virginia after the feds initially or rather after the state of virginia initially passed on any charges they were going to send him away for 11 years i do sense a pattern bernie yeah you know what buck there's nothing more dangerous uh in a society like ours in a democratic society than a government that weaponizes its criminal justice system against its own citizens and that's what we're doing. And there's nobody more um, guilty of this than members of Congress. And, and it's just not, it's not only Democrats that do it to Republicans. Republicans have done it to Democrats. Bottom line is, it shouldn't be done. Selective and political prosecutions are wrong, but they happen constantly. And I, and I don't think anybody's ever realized it until we got to see it firsthand, close up and personal, with the president. All right, Bernie, I, I want to keep you because I want to ask you some law enforcement specific questions the other side of the break. Everybody stay with us. We'll be back with Bernard Carrick in just a moment. All right, team, we're back with uh, Bernard Carrick. He was the uh, police commissioner of the NYPD, where I firmly uh, formerly worked uh, for the Intel division for a little while. You guys know him. He's also a, a New York Times bestselling author. All right, Bernie, I, I want to ask about this. Uh, there are a lot of we could talk police stuff all day, but, you know, I know you got a life, so we'll have to have you back another time. But the throwing of water in the videos that's been happening it happened in New York. These these police officers, uniformed officers had water thrown at them, people laughing and everything else. What do you make? I mean, you're somebody who held, I believe, like every job all the way up to commissioner. What do you make of this? Well, listen, what I make of it, uh, you know, is a disrespect towards toward the law enforcement community, which has been going on since Ferguson. Um, you know, and it seems to grow in democratic cities uh, where you have mayors and, and governors and, and state representatives that, you know, they, they constantly promote this anti-police rhetoric. Um, and it also, it, 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 it's also uh, pretty heavy-handed in areas where you have mayors that's not going to support their cops because the cops are afraid to go out and really do their job. What do you when think I of de Blasio's that, relationship with the NYPD? It's horrible. It's horrible. I think, personally, I think he's the worst mayor the city has ever had, at least in my lifetime. And, you know, I wasn't too happy with David Dinkins. Um, I think de Blasio's far worse. De Blasio's a socialist. Uh, de Blasio is somebody that doesn't give a damn about quality of life issues in the city, the, the, uh, the homeless population and the panhandlers and all the stuff that was reminiscent uh, of New York City back in the, the bad old days prior to Rudy Giuliani taking over. It's all coming back. Um, we've had a, a major spike in the last month or two in, in shootings in the city. And as people disrespect the police and as this stuff is promoted, you're going to see increases in crime. Um, and, and nobody understands this stuff better than I do. I was a cop on the city streets from 1986 to 1994 when it was the height of the crack epidemic, when it was the height of violent crime. Keep in mind, in, in New York City in 1990, we had 
2,400 murders. Um, when Giuliani came in in 1994, he said, look, nobody wants to visit, live, go to school, or work in a place where they're not safe. So this isn't about socioeconomic issues. This is about violent crime and murder, and we're going to reduce that. And, and honestly, Buck, for every percentage point that we reduced violent crime and murder, I can show you increases in economic development, real estate values, tourism, reductions at welfare roles. And the bottom line is Giuliani proved that it can be done. So why isn't it done in Baltimore, Milwaukee, well, that, that's actually the next question I was going to ask you. I was in I was in West Baltimore uh, about a week ago and really made it made the rounds. I mean, I went to go see the worst because I, I have some some colleagues and friends in Baltimore. I said, look, guys, I need to see this for myself. It is every bit as bad in the bad areas. There's nice areas of Baltimore, too, of course. But it's every bit as bad in the bad areas as Trump has been saying and, and as the public has been led to believe recently if I if I brought you out of uh, you know civilian life and said all right, all right Bernie you're now you're now the police commissioner of Baltimore we got to get this place to have a murder rate that isn't frightening away investment and people that want to live there and everything else what what has to happen what do you do well first and foremost you have to engage uh, aggressive policing and that is what the left's against they're completely against aggressive policing they're one hundred percent against it. You know, they want, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure what they want, but they don't want what we did in New York City in 19, from 1994 to 2002 when we reduced violent crime. I think the numbers were 65%, uh, 65% reduction in violent crime and close to a 70% in murder. And in some of the, the, the minority communities, the black communities, the black precincts around the city, the murder rate was dropped by close to 80%. That's what should be happening in places like Baltimore and Chicago and these other places. But you need a mayor that's going to take the handcuffs off the cops, let them go out and do their job. You need a mayor that's not going to villainize the police. They're not going to victimize the thugs in the street. Um, and unfortunately, in the Democratic arena, you know, especially in the, the, the far left-leaning uh, politicians they're never going to do that if you were back in the top job at the nypd how would you have handled the case of officer pantaleo and eric garner you know that got a lot of attention recently uh people were yelling that at a democratic debate fire pantaleo you've seen the video i'm sure you've read the reports what what do you think of what happened there pantaleo was making a lawful arrest you know the the, the big thing to outsiders uh, you know when they they see me or they talk to me they'll say they killed the guy for selling loose cigarettes you know one two cigarettes at a time no no a guy died as a result of resisting arrest an arrest that was lawful one selling loose cigarettes is a crime somebody called the police they wanted him arrested they made a complaint a police complaint because he was doing this in front of a store. The police responded, affected an arrest. He resisted arrest. I don't care if he was selling loose cigarettes or he committed mass murder. does not make any difference. When the police say you're under arrest, you must comply. He resisted. Pantaleo engaged in a takedown, not a chokehold, a takedown. I've been involved in the martial arts since I was 14 years old. I know what I'm talking about. It was a takedown. 
they were panic-stricken. Those cops were scared to death. They're fighting a 380-pound guy in front of a major plate glass window, and they're all armed. Two things you don't want to happen. You don't want to get through and throw, through, thrown through that plate glass window, and you damn sure don't want this guy taking your gun. you got to get him down on the ground and get him in cuffs. That's what they did. During the course of this, as a result of some medical conditions, he dies. They didn't kill him. He died as a result of resisting. That's the bottom line. There's been a civil rights uh, inquiry by the U.S. Department of Justice, and there was a grand jury investigation, both of which refused to charge Pantaleo. He should not be fired, and if he is fired, it's nothing but a political stunt or political move by de Blasio and should never happen. Bernard Carrick, everybody, 40th police commissioner of the NYPD in New York City, uh, best, best-selling author. Uh, Bernie, really appreciate your time and your expertise. Please, please come back to the show soon, all right? You take care. Buck, thank you. All right, team, we've got uh, more coming up here in just a moment. Stay with me. Well, team, I'm getting down to my last couple of weeks here in Washington, D.C. And now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to get a little nostalgic about the swamp. I've only been down here for about a year, but I've lived here before for a number of years. Today, I, I'd never been to the Treasury Department, which uh, just seemed like a, you know, I've been to the White House a bunch of times. Uh, the DOJ, obviously, I worked at the CIA. I've been there a million times. Been to the Pentagon. Uh, you know, been to a lot of these places. I decided that, you know, I want to I go check out the Treasury Department. So I had lunch with a friend over there. Very nice. They had a, I don't know if it's a balcony or a veranda or a terrace. I don't know what you'd call it. Those are all different things. I know you guys are going to send me the definitions for all these, but in an outdoor eating area where you look over the White House and it was very, uh, it's very civilized. I had a Cobb salad and iced tea. It felt very like, oh, oh, perhaps, perhaps we'll talk about bonds and stocks and Randolph. Yes. You know. Winthrop. Oh, no, what's that guy's name? Mortimer. Randolph and Mortimer from uh, Coming to America. You guys remember that? I think that's the th- I think that's the second best Eddie Murphy movie. I think number one is Beverly Hills Cop one. And then I think number two is coming is coming to America. Oh, no, not coming to America. Sorry. Trading places. Trading places. That's Randolph Mortimer. Um, some of you have a lot. No, exactly. What I'm talking about a lot. Of you have no idea. Oh, that's right. They are. They exist in in uh, coming to America again. That's right. He, we're back in business, Mortimer. I remember that. Yeah, those guys are great. That's a great movie. So, uh, yeah, I was at the Treasury Department. You walk around Treasury and you think that all of a sudden uh, the, the, the Harvard, the Harvard faculty lounge has essentially turned into a building. It's just very. Everything is very elegant and quiet. And I got to say, it's definitely the money building. You know what I mean? You, you walk around the Department of Justice and you're like, meh, there's a fair amount of ill-fitting suits and square-toed loafers in here. And uh, it looks like there's probably a couple of rooms where they might do, they might do some on-the-side interrogations. You know, it's not exactly as, as there are very nice parts. If you go near the Attorney General's office and such, I've been over there. That's very fancy. But overall, DOJ is a little... A little government bureaucracy, drab and depressing. Um, you go to CIA, and I always tell people the CIA has a couple of cool parts for visitors, but the actual building where you work, it's like the inside of a bus terminal or something. I mean, it's just a lot of linoleum floors and track lighting and 
it is not sexy in there. There, the no, you do not open a door, and there are people doing ninja training with flamethrowers and and climbing up and down ropes and stuff like that. That's unfortunately, or is there? But no, just kidding. That that's not really a thing that happens. Uh, the White House is the White. I will say the White House actually has some parts of it where you go, really, this is it. Uh, the Oval Office, I think, is smaller than people would would imagine, especially from TV and other things. It's really not that big, uh, the press pool area, the you know, where the in the West Wing, that that's it's almost like run down. It looks kind of like the science, the science uh, or the auditorium, rather, for, you know, a high school biology class that nobody really wants to take. It's just not really that not really that impressive. So anyway, first time over Treasury is pretty cool. If you ever get the chance. Somebody will give you a tour of it. I saw the vault and I saw the the cash room. There was, interesting fact, until 1970, there was a working bank in the Department of the Treasury. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's a fancy building. That's where all the, the people making money cash, millionaires, or at least they used to, and now they work for the government. That's there. I was trying to think of what the nicest of all these federal buildings. Uh, Treasury is pretty nice. I think that's probably the most. If you're looking for a, the, the federal equivalent of the country club agency, I think it's probably got to be the Treasury Department. Uh, it's definitely not the Pentagon, which you walk around that thing and you're like just hoping. At least I used to walk around and hope that I wouldn't get lost. It's like, where am I? But you never want to be that dork who's walking in the Pentagon like, excuse me, Mr. Two-Star General, um, but this floor is like E72 and I want to go to... I want to go to sub-basement QRZ and I just... You don't want to be that guy, so you just end up doing what I did as a dork from Langley who would just walk around the hallways totally lost. Like, what am I doing here? But uh, anyway, Treasury Department was fun. Getting in some last DC stories. Roll Call's up next. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Roll call time, which means Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is how you get this action going. I, I do hope one day we'll get an email account we can start to use for the show. But I just, you know what it is? It's too hard to switch into all these different email accounts all the time. I need like thumbprint and eye scanner stuff. I'm sick of all the passwords. I feel like I spend whole days of my life trying to trying to get the passwords that I don't, I can't remember. I can't figure out. All right, I know. I get off my lawn. True. Okay. Um. Let's see here. Uh. We have Andy who writes. I don't know about the other guy, Buck, but these are uh sleeper cells, whether you want to admit it or not. I understand you can't say this on radio, but I think with your training you can get it. Uh, Andy. Um. If we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one. Eric writes, hey, Buck, love the show. I've been a listener since Saturday shows in the blaze. I know you said you have an open mind toward red flag laws. However, I would like you to consider something. If anyone were to suggest that instead of taking away the guns of a dangerous person, we would lock the person up for a period of time without due process. Everyone will be screaming. That's totally unconstitutional. We cannot give up our rights. Not even a little. Giving this much power to the court system is a recipe for disaster. Shields high. Eric, uh, 
you know, I I do see it as a problem. I, I just think it's a trade-off, and we have to see what the specifics are of the proposed legislation. But um, this is one of these times when I think to myself, maybe maybe I even subconsciously was feeling more of the of the heat of the moment here of we must do something, we must do something. No, we don't have to do something unless it's worth doing. I think that's a good rule for everything, a good rule for life in general. So that's what I would say about that. Keith writes, yes, they are completely off the rails. They'll say or do anything. The 8-8 thing on MSNBC proves it. Yeah, Keith, I mean, that was one of the one of the craziest things I've ever seen on television. Somebody who was a former senior FBI agent is really going around saying that because of August 8th is the day the flag will be raised from. I mean, it's just a question of something terrible happened. They're going to have the flags at half staff for a couple of days, and then they're not going to have them. And have, there's no special messaging there that has anything to do with 8-8 and white supremacy. I, I, I agree with you. It was just, just nuts. Stephen writes, red flag laws, more cyber monitoring. What the hell? Have you lost your damn mind? Reality check, buck slap, Sexton. Stand down. Go reread the Declaration, the Bill of Rights. All right, Stephen. I mean, first of all, cyber monitoring is, if it's public space, it's public space, my friend. So that's not, you know, I, I dealt with this on the law enforcement side. If you're posting stuff and it's open to anyone on the Internet, it's open to anyone, including law enforcement on the Internet. So it depends on the cyber monitoring we're talking about. There's no constitutional issue with public forum law enforcement looking at public forum. That's just the way it is. Uh, As for red flag laws. All right. All right. I get it. You guys are really not on. You know, go yell at Trump. Why are you all yelling at me over red flag laws? He's the one that's saying that he's open to this idea. You got a bunch of Republicans that are talking about how maybe this is finally something that they're uh, willing to do. So we shall see. Mm hmm. Lori writes, uh, here's a suggestion for you for your show who to have on. All right. I'll take a look at this guy, Lori. Thank you for sending that in here. We've got to go to the unread folder. Jeff writes, Buck, I love the show. Stumbled across the trailer for a movie that depicts the elite libs hunting deplorables for sport. Uh, yeah, man, I, I've been talking about that on the show. I'm aware this is not this is not good. This is not something that the Buckster thinks is uh, in the realm of, of good taste or acceptable, acceptable creative uh, discourse. Richard writes, Buck, on more guns, less crime, as a freelance animator and artist, I used to deliver pizza for Papa John's when the work would get slow. FYI, if you're ever moving somewhere and want to know if it's a neighborhood that's safe or not, Papa John's will not deliver to an area with a bad crime rate. The only exception is if you go to your local Papa John and get on the exception list. One such exception was this really nice lady on the south side of town. On the receipt, it always said, take off your car, Topper. She has a gun. It's okay. Would you pull up and knock on the door and five locks would click until the door would crack open and an over-under shotgun would greet you? She would see you and pay fast, warning you to get out of here before they see you, referring to the thugs down the street. Those thugs didn't mess with that lady because she had a gun. If it was easier for law-abiding citizens to defend themselves and their property, then thugs would think twice before terrorizing an inner-city neighborhood. Shields high. Well, you know, Richard, I, that's quite a story. Thanks for sharing that. And I would tell you that, look, I, I mean, I had some, some pretty decent uh, training when I was in the federal government on different weapon systems, uh, particularly on, on handguns. So 
I, I always believe that if you have a, a trained law abiding patriot who is armed, everybody is safer in that person's vicinity. Because I know that if I could walk around and I can't because I don't I can't get a concealed carry permit here or an open carry permit here. But if I could walk around D.C. concealed carry, every person in my vicinity is safer. If something goes down, I'm going to be able to react and respond in a way that could neutralize the threat. Rachel, just wanted to commend you on your Mar appearance. The blonde was overly expressive with her hands and totally in your bubble, but you handled it well. Well, Rachel, that blonde is Jennifer Granholm, who was the governor of Michigan, which makes me think that Michigan and I need to have a conversation. What's what's going on, Michigan? Uh, Ms. Granholm seems like a nice lady, but putting her in charge? Come on. Wendy writes, thank you for your monologue opening. I've been waiting for it all day. I just love you. Thanks, Buck. Really? Well, Wendy, love you, too. Thank you so much. Very kind of you. And I'm glad that you got to hear the monologue you've been waiting for all day. We try to always make it worth your time here. Let's see. Linda. Whoa, this is a long one. Um, Sometimes I don't get to hear your program as I work five nights a week. But now we're hearing about these two mass shootings and people are bringing up gun control. Why are the Republicans so willing to go with gun control with the socialists when no one ever talks about controlling illegals entering after they commit horrific crimes? I dare say more Americans have died at the hands of illegals than have died at the hands of a gun toting person. Uh, Lydia, I I appreciate your passion. I don't think that's correct, uh, but I'm pretty sure it's not. But I, I get what you're saying. By the way, um, I love your show and listening to you. You just make sense. Well, thank you very much, Lydia. That's the most important part of this whole exchange. Thank you for listening to the show and uh, and sending in your thoughts on this one. Sandy writes, I'm very thankful for patriots like you. Sandy, I'm thankful for patriots like you who are willing to give me your time and listen to what I've got going on here in the Freedom Hut. Uh, let's see here. Was Steve writes, excited to watch you on Mar. Uh, hopefully you're a- you were able to get in all the words you had to see or had to say. You have been inspirational to thousands and thousands of American patriots, including myself. Now you're on the stage that I assume libs are tuning into. Uh, pray to God your speech and words are able to shake some common sense into many across our great nation. Steve, shields high. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, we've got another one coming in here. It's I can't see who wrote it. The name is going blank on me right now but it just says please don't sing all right all right i know i know if i did a little practice i'm telling you i could i could carry a tune but i know right now it's not really not as good as it should be thomas writes break me up off a piece of that kit kat bar lol uh thomas i don't know are you hungry or what, what what's got kit kat bar on your mind my friend that's i don't know i can't explain that one uh Andrea writes, uh, hope you're doing well. Thank you very much, Andrea. I am doing well. Uh, Let's see. Dave from Earlton, New York, WGY listener. And this is Shinola is an old brand of shoe polish. Um, Thanks very much. Uh, Your show is insightful. I appreciate that. Uh, Yes, Shinola shoe polish. Randy also writes Shinola shoe polish. Deborah. Okay. Okay. Guys, thank you. We have we have established that Shinola is 
shoe polish. Uh, let's see here. Scott. What we got from Scott? Buck, I love the show. It's the, it's the best way to start out any note. I myself had a recent run-in with CBP. I drove to Canada when coming back across the border. Was told to park and go inside. I went inside and stood around for about 45 minutes before anyone would talk to me. When my name was called, I was told to turn over my keys and no, I was not allowed to watch them search my vehicle. After the search, I was told I owed $13 for the commercial goods I was carrying, which I had declared, and I was sent on my way. I support CBP when they are interdicting illegal activity, but I do not support this type of harassment of U.S. citizens who are simply trying to get across the border after conducting business activity. A simple, sir, we're going to search your vehicle since you were randomly selected would have made things a lot better instead of telling me to sit down and wait until I was told they were ready to talk to me. CBP agents all had bad attitudes, and I nearly expressed my true thoughts on the situation. I travel a lot. I know there's nothing to gain by saying anything to an agent of the U.S. government except to answer their direct questions with as few details as possible. Everything you do and will say will always be held against you. Well, Scott, I'm sorry you had that interaction with CBP. Um, I got to tell you, I'm not surprised. CBP folks, they've got a tough job and, you know, they are trying to stop people from doing illegal stuff, particularly drug trafficking, but other illegal stuff, too. And so they're not going to be particularly warm and fuzzy usually. I will say I've had plenty of people in CBP when I've returned into the into the country, though, say something, you know, once they've cleared and they know I'm a good guy, they'll say, like, you know, welcome home or something. You know, so they, they some of them make an effort, but some of them don't look. It's a federal government job. It's not uh, it's not glorious work all the time. And, you know, people tend not to be that nice to CBP. They all just want to get through it. And, you know, it's not fun. It's really not fun for anyone. It's just necessary. Uh, they have a lot of power, though. So you're smart to not when you're in, when you're at that border crossing, you're in CBP's world. You want to be very respectful and truthful and just help them get their job done. And, and you'll get out of there in a reasonable, reasonable order. You start getting mouthy with CBP. It's not going to be a good day. I can, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen a hundred times, not a hundred times, probably once or twice, but I've seen it happen. All right, team, that's going to be the show for today. Shields high.